The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast, one show at a time. But not Saturday night, don't bring it up this week, Danny. It gets on my nerves. <laughs> this week, we are looking at the Monday Nitro from May 20th, 1996. And as always, joining me is the brains of the operation, the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? I'm doing really well. Thank you, mate. How's yourself? Good. Very good indeed. Uh, this is a longer Nitro, Danny, isn't it? 90 minutes, I think they said, is on the... Uh, the broadcast time but obviously we lose the adverts on the network which is nice so it's a bit shorter for us but yeah a bit of a longer one for us my friend it really is uh in two ways it's the beginning of an era and the end of an era isn't it yes very much so because i mean not only does this is it is this a 90 minute special here uh on this nitro but announced during this show is the fact that as of next week may 27th 1996 nitro goes two hours so and it runs as, as two hours for quite a while so yeah it's exciting times it really is mate let's see what we can get into indeed indeed before we do let's have a little look at the tv ratings for that monday evening back in may of 96 monday night raw received a 2.3 which is relatively respectful considering the numbers that we have been looking at since we started this project but nitro won the night with a f- very very good 3.1 danny really good that just shows there's making a difference yes indeed yes indeed uh speaking of something that is different we go to the commentary table as we normally do at the start of our monday nitros but there's only two fellas there there's only the brain and old easy e himself there's no mongo mcmichael we're told he is off training with kevin green in preparation for his match with rick flair and Arn anderson at the next pay-per-view can't wait for that mate i mean yeah that just made a big difference because every single show we've watched of nitro they've just been a three-man booth but when you take one man away it makes a massive difference it does it does it looked weird to be fair it looked strange didn't it it did couldn't they at least leave pepe there oh yeah i miss pepe yeah i hope i hope he's not done like because obviously mongo goes on to wrestle quite a bit doesn't he so I, i i hope uh I hope Pepe's that, that's not it. I hope Pepe sort of, you know, comes back in the two-hour era, era of Nitros. Definitely. Uh, before we get to any action, however, we do get a slight recap of Slamboree and basically covering the Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Mongo McMichael, Kevin Green stuff. Now, our last episode of Nitro Nights covered Slamboree 96 because obviously, you know, that's the date order that the shows ran in. So it was the date order that we run in. But I didn't really, I, I think, pick your mind enough, Danny, or, or get your thoughts on on this angle with regards to how it's been building with Mongo and his wife, Deborah and Flair. And then what happened at the pay-per-view itself and the announcement of a match with two NFL players in it. How, how do you think this has been built? Uh, and how do you think that, well, what are your thoughts, I suppose, on celebrities in wrestling 
as well, um, because we've, we've seen so many of them to varying levels of success, haven't we? We have. Um, I, I'm not fully against it, but I can see why traditional wrestling fans would be against it, because it would be like a celebrity coming into a, um, a football match, for instance, or a basketball match. Like, But at the same time, you have to realise it's pure entertainment. So as long as they don't mess up and they're actually pretty good, then I have no problem with it. But we've seen some, to steal one of your words, dross, haven't we? <laughs> we have. My mind always goes back to uh, the lady's name. I apologise to yourself, Danny, and anyone listening. And if I get this wrong, I'm sure you'll be able to correct me. It was a lady from a reality TV show in the States. And I want to say Snooky. Yes, you got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, quite a short lady. I think, I don't know if it was Jersey Shore or one of those yeah. type programs. I suppose here in the UK, it'd be similar to uh, The Only Way is Essex or something along those lines. And she was involved in a match. And obviously she couldn't work a lick. Let's be honest. And <laughs> she still, I think, I think her match was at WrestleMania, which is insane. Yeah. And I think also, didn't she get the win as well? Did, did she pin? Yes, she did, actually. Yeah, I remember there was quite the uproar about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think celebrities in wrestling, I was saying celebrities here in reference to the NFL players. I mean, it's a slightly different ilk because they're professional sportsmen, of course. But uh, covering all of those people under the same umbrella, celebrities in wrestling, I like it because it can bring a lot of eyes from the mainstream mm. into this kind of niche uh, hobby or niche liking of our own yeah i think i think back to wrestlemania one where it, you know it, it everything for the wwf really got going and that was mainly based upon the celebrity involvement as opposed to what was happening in the ring with the likes of cindy lauper and mr t involved and so on and then i also think to wrestlemania 14 when the attitude era kicked off and mike tyson was involved and I, I think the, the attitude era has begun that or the Austin era, sorry, has begun the line from Jim Ross whilst Shawn Michaels is, is KO'd on the mat after Tyson giving him a, a swift right hand. I think it played a big part in getting eyes on the product as Austin was getting hot. So I can see a real strong benefit to it. However, I don't like it when we get a celebrity come in regardless of how good they are in the ring, because we've had guys like uh, Jake Paul, Logan Paul. I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, Logan. Logan, okay. So we've had Logan Paul and we've had Bad Bunny, um, both who have done very well in the ring, considering this isn't their their you know first point of employment. This isn't their forte. But I don't like it when wrestlers come in, regardless of how good they are. and they uh, Sorry, celebrities. And they beat the wrestlers. Because if they're coming in and having one match, two matches, whatever, it kind of makes a mockery of the wrestler itself. And it almost feels as well when we have certain celebrity involvements that the wrestlers have to have to make them look good, even if they're not wrestling. So if it's a boxer, the boxer has to lay somebody out. We saw Mickey Rourke lay out Jericho yeah. at, at WrestleMania and so on. It almost makes it feel like the wrestlers are less than their celebrity counterparts is how I, how I see it, Danny. I, I completely agree with that. It's like, um, the one that always springs to mind is, uh, Floyd Mayweather knocking out the big show at, uh, WrestleMania mm. 24. Um, that's, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about the giant here, the build to that, the, the big show was made to look very, very strong. And then not, to disparage his size or anything or his skill level because he's a boxer but it just it was just a tad bit unrealistic to me yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean it'd be interesting to see how this works with mongo and kevin green going forward when we reach the great american bash in a few weeks time but i mean that's one tag match for the future opening this show is a tag match that we're going to get to talk about right now and we have the combination that you seem quite keen on, Danny, of Fire and Ice. And they're taking on the Steiners. And we also see the Faces of Fear later on in the show. And I think this might have been done intentionally because we had Fire and Ice teaming up the previous night at Slambury. But the Steiners and the Faces of Fear were opposing each other. So I think the very next night on television, getting them back, working as a team together, being on the same page... 
uh, nips in the bud any potential um, rumours or thoughts by fans of there being a potential split or disagreement in the team, I think, Danny? It really does, and it puts to bed those, uh, like you said, the rumours from the dirt sheets as well. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, it just shows that unity. Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, we find out on commentary at this stage that Macho Man has been banned from the building. Randy Savage is not allowed in the building because of his recent conduct. And that's fair enough. If I run around punching security guards and attacking my boss or other colleagues of mine, uh, I imagine I wouldn't be allowed back in the factory. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- this opening contest, I've not got many notes on it, but what I have, I think kind of summarizes pretty much the whole contest. These suplexes are unreal. Yeah. I mean, Scott Steiner is the man. He, uh, to me, this, I mean, as you know, this is May 96. Steiner has always been a big guy, but he's bulked up a little bit here. Yeah. But he's the- not carrying the injuries yet. He's still got the freedom of movement that he loses a bit later in his career. And I yeah. just think to myself, man, how much I would have loved to have seen this version of Scott Steiner have a top main event run. Yes, 100%, mate. I mean, that's what I wrote down was, has is Scott Steiner getting bigger by the day? Because it seemed like he was bigger than the previous night at the pay-per-view somehow. I know that's impossible, <laughs> but it just seems like every time we see him, he's getting bigger and bigger. But as you said, he hasn't got the injuries yet. So this, if this Steiner was pushed to the top of the cards, it would have been magic. Mm. I always go back to 1993. And when the Steiners, well, the Steiners joined the WWF in the trail end of 92, but uh, as a tag team, and they worked as a tag team for their whole run there and then left to head back to WCW. But according to Bruce Pritchard, Bruce and one other person, it may have been Pat Patterson, but I could be incorrect with that, um, came up with the idea of Scott Steiner entering the War Rumble in 1993 as a surprise and winning the whole thing and going on to WrestleMania 9 and beating Bret Hart for the championship. And it was the all-American version of Scott Steiner, the baby face, the the college uh, or university wrestler, and and so on, all that great stuff that they love over there. And obviously, this comes from Bruce Pritchard, so take from it what you wish, how much truth there is to this, we we don't know. I've got no reason to disbelieve the guy, but obviously there are some stories that get, sorry to say, exaggerated for effect when he talks yeah but i always wonder i mean we had at wrestlemania 9 hogan winning the title in that mess at the end and then hogan as world champion but we didn't see him properly for a few months then he drops the belt back to yokozuna at king of the ring 93 and then we get the whole lex express and uh, luger getting dressed up in the red white and blue and pushed in a way that potentially scott steiner was was being spoken about in early 93 I wonder what would have happened if Steiner had come in, won the Rumble, gone on to face Bret Hart, and we didn't get the whole the whole Hogan nonsense and, and all that, and where we would have be, been now if Scott said, if Scott didn't say, no, I want to work with my brother, would he? Yeah. How, how far do you think he could have gone, Danny? He would have went quite far but the problem is his uh i don't think his microphone work was up to par at that point but the matches with bret hart would have been amazing that's true yes that is true but and if again, he had a manager uh well, yeah uh oh it just would have been brilliant i mean do you think he would have uh, been a heel or a face during that um i'm not sure i think if somebody debuts as a surprise and goes on to win the Rumble, they're going to get cheated no matter what. I mean, it's very difficult to stop the cheers. And Steiner looking the way he does, and according to Pritchard and Patterson and so on, it would have been very much a American hero-style gimmick, because at the time, they were still looking for the next Hogan. I mean, Hogan coming back was arranged at this stage, but his participation was going to be limited, as in a, a tag match at WrestleMania, and then a few other matches, and then off he would go again. So Hogan going into the main events wasn't actually on their their radar at that point. 
Luger ended up being the guy who they tried to replace Hogan with in later 93. That probably wouldn't have happened because Steiner would have been the one that they ran with. I don't think we'd have got a heel Bret Hart. I don't think that would have happened. Maybe Bret would have dropped the championship to Yoko before Mania and Scott Steiner as the American all-conquering babyface would defeat the evil Japanese heel who's actually from you know Hawaii or Samoa or wherever. He's, he's an American citizen, but he's, he was born in Hawaii or Samoa or somewhere around these areas, wasn't he? And we'd have had the same USA versus the rest of the world gimmick. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think he would have been a heel. I just wonder what they would have done with the rest of the card to accommodate that Steiner idea. Yeah. It would have been uh, certainly something um, to see because um, uh, the big question to me as you're going over that is where would Rick Steiner be? Well, yeah. I mean, they were very interested in bringing Scott in. Again, I'm going by you know stuff I've heard Bruce Pritchard say in the past. They were very interested in bringing Scott in. They were not as interested as bringing Rick in into the WWF, sorry. So I get the impression it was a case of we want Scott as a singles, but if Scott won't be a singles, then we do want them both. Yeah. So that's kind of what we ended up with. And the Steiners came in as, as a tag team. And obviously they had their, their title run and they had some good matches with the head shrinkers, a pretty decent outing with the heavenly bodies at SummerSlam 93. And then we had the uh, all American nonsense at Survivor Series '93 with the Undertaker and that stupid coat and all that sort, of, all that sort of <laughs> crap. But I just, I just think they were looking for fresh blood in '93. They hadn't yeah. quite, they hadn't quite pulled the trigger on Bret Hart yet. His first title reign was still a little bit. They were unsure as to what they were going to do with him. Shown by the way, he dropped the belt at Mania Nine. And they didn't end up going back to him again for a whole year when he, he reclaimed it at WrestleMania 10. So they were unconvinced about, about Brett as their number one guy at this point. Vince was still looking for the big muscle-bound American hero that he made money with in the likes of Hogan. Luger obviously didn't work. Mm, I, I don't know. I don't know how it would have worked out. But yeah, they were, they were only after Scott initially, from what I believe. So uh, Rick... Uh, would have probably gone gone to WCW again or carried on working there or I don't know. Yeah. Interesting those to uh, fantasy book, isn't it? It is. It is. But you're right. Uh, the, the Steiner Brett matches would have been fantastic. It would also have been great to see Scott Steiner throw Hogan around for a little bit. That would have been fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also the potential to see Scott Steiner doing some of these incredible suplexes on Yokozuna. Do you reckon <sighs> he could have managed it? Definitely. I think he could have at this point. And if he couldn't, give him another four years and he definitely would. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, though. His stumbling block may have been his promo skills. But mm. then, you know, going into WrestleMania 9, Brett was the champion and he's never been a particularly strong promo until he turned yeah. heel in 97. Luger was never a strong promo. You know, so I suppose around this time, they didn't have many great on the microphone baby faces to kind of... Uh, kind of you so scott might have fitted in with that because he wasn't a great promo himself i don't know i don't know it's yeah. interesting though definitely is mate ultimately though this match ends in a double count out which is a little bit annoying considering how many you know screwy finishes we had the previous night at the pay-per-view danny yeah, I wrote that down. I was like, come on, can't we at least have a night off of uh, the stupid finishes? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it was a, a very, like, I know I say this every week, but it was a Hoss match in every sense of the word. Um, it was, yeah, it was good to see the Steiners back as well. Mm, yeah. Define, just for those listening who, who may not be aware of the term, I imagine most people in our circle are fully aware, but we have listeners elsewhere in the world and, and listeners elsewhere who may not be who may be new to WCW or new to certain wrestling terminology, when you personally use the term Hoss match, um elaborate on how you mean with that. Is, is it the style of wrestling? Is it the 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 individuals involved? It, elaborate exactly what you mean there. Hoss match to me is uh just like a giant muscly uh set of wrestlers fighting each other, not really being the most technically sound. 
um, just kind of like punching, throwing suplexes, uh, throwing each other into the ropes. Um, just kind of like a basic fight, really. Uh, yeah, okay. that's how I'll describe that. Fair enough. There we go. There we go. What we get next, I think, doesn't fit that criteria as a host match. I think this is the other end of the spectrum. We have one of the greatest of all time in the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And he is taking on somebody who I think would go on to be in the conversation as being at least in the top five of all time in Eddie Guerrero. Now, when we watched Slambury 96, I sang the praises of the exchanges between Guerrero and Flair in their tag match as short and broken up as they may may well have been because of the format of the contest they were having. But here, when I saw that Eddie Guerrero was facing Ric Flair in a singles match again, I was all about this. I was really looking forward to this. And I'll be honest, Danny, I don't think they disappoint. No, this, uh, to me, this is high praise, but this is the best match I've seen um, this far into the Nitro Nats that we've been doing this side. Oh, Um, really? Okay. Yeah, this, I absolutely loved everything about this match because it went on. I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a squash and Macho Man's going to run out and attack Ric Flair or something. But no, I kept waiting for it. But then I was pleasantly surprised. We've got a really, really good, long, uh, well over 10 minutes match. Mm. Yeah, and I think as well, I mean, a, a, a few highlights from this contest first, I guess. Eddie Guerrero was in control for a short period at the beginning. Uh, we also see Eddie Guerrero doing a little Ric Flair stretch. That tickled me. I thought that was very funny. Um, Flair kind of tries to gain an advantage with what Bobby Heenan described as a Greco-Roman thumb to the eye, which again made me laugh. <laughs> Heenan, again, this night is on fine form. Uh, Eddie Guerrero uses a sunset flip from the top rope, and we get the obligatory Ric Flair arse shot as he pulls his trunks down a little bit. But up to that point, the match is relatively 50-50, and they even mention that on commentary as well. It's Nobody really takes control for any long period of time, Danny, do they? No, not at all. Um, we've talked about for the last couple of months, Ric Flair has just been making the giant in the ring and making other wrestlers. This, he really put on his working boots to help make Eddie Guerrero. Um, the only one complaint I had about this was there was too many headlocks by Eddie Guerrero for me. I think we, I think I counted six at one point, but, um, and oh no, and I had one more complaint was the, um, announcers just keep talking about Ric Flair's other feuds rather than the match itself. But other than that, this is definitely the best match I've seen on Nitro so far. Why? Okay. Fair enough. Um, I think it's very difficult with regards to the commentary there, your point on the commentary, I think it can be quite difficult to get that balance correct because I mean, Flair is involved in two very high-profile stories here at the same time. He's obviously got the stuff going on with Savage, but they're also building to this big, I suppose, attraction of having the NFL guys involved at, at the Great American Bash. So there's a lot there to get over from a commentary standpoint. So then also have to talk about the match as well. I imagine it's incredibly difficult for, for the commentary team to get that, that balance correct. And I agree with you. I wish they'd address the match that we were watching a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, one line of commentary we get from Eric Bischoff, though, did make me smile. He's, he can't resist a little dig at the WWF, can he? They're talking about the number of world titles that Ric Flair has held. And, uh, you know, debated still to this day. I mean, the, the figure that WWF bands around all the time is 16. Flair in different interviews has said 21 or 23. Uh, I believe it to be north of 20 myself, looking at, you know, what title changes you can count as official and what one's not, I suppose. But they're talking here back in 96 about the amount of title wins he has. And there's a dispute over two main titles when counting world championships Flair has won. And Eric Bischoff quite bluntly states, we're not counting those other two title wins. Those weren't for wrestling championships. And that's obviously the two title wins that Flair had in the WWF, Danny. Oh, that was a bit stiff, wasn't it? It was good. I enjoyed it. It, I enjoyed it. (laughs) But I also loved in this match, we got the big Terry Flair flop, if you're a fan of that. Yes, yeah, when he sort of wanders about and drops to his face. Yeah, it yes. does make me laugh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous, to be fair. It looks silly. It's it's a really daft spot, but 
if I went to go see Ric Flair wrestle live, maybe not so much now, it's 2022, but if I went to go see Ric Flair wrestle live in previous years and I didn't see the Flair flop, I'd probably be a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I could see that, mate. And yeah. I, I, did you see how red Eddie Guerrero's chest was at the end of this match from the chops? Oh, just... Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? It's insane. Uh, Eddie Guerrero hits a crossbody at one point, but hurts his knee upon the landing. Uh, and he sells this for a little while. A, a few moments later, Eddie tries his uh, patented frog splash finisher from the top, but he hits it and can't make the cover because he's hurt his knee again. Um, yeah. We get a figure four by Ric Flair, and he grabs women's hands through the ropes to, I suppose, get the extra leverage that they discuss. And Guerrero's shoulders are on the mat too long, and the, the referee counts the counts to three, and Ric Flair wins the match. And I thought it was I thought it was bloody excellent. Yeah, it really was. It was a logical finish because these two had been wrestling well over ten minutes. Um Ed, Eddie Grail was hurt by the knee, so his knee was being um uh applied to by the figure four. So of course he's just he either passed out or just um it was very, very logical. Mm. Yes, I agree. But Flair's work this evening is not done. We mentioned earlier on that we have a two-man commentary booth here. And I really got a kick out of this. We have the VIP table set up again, where there is candles and some food and some champagne and so on. And Mean Gene meets Flair there. And Flair cuts a promo saying that, you know, uh, he runs down Savage, he runs down Mongo, he runs down Kevin Green and so on. And then he picks up some of the gear from the VIP table and goes for a little wander. At this stage, we go to an advert break and we come back to a tag match between the faces of Fear and our World Tag Team Champions, Sting and Lex Luger. But Ric Flair is on the commentary table. And when we see the shot of the commentary table, it is just pure comedy gold. You've got Heenan sat in his usual spot, Bischoff in the middle, and then we've got Flair with his robe on the ladies behind him, a massive platter of you know expensive food. There's the wine, there's the candles burning all over the VIP. So not the VIP, sorry. The commentary table is made to look like the VIP section. I really enjoyed this. And Flair basically stays on commentary then for the rest of the night, Danny, doesn't he? Yeah, this was perfect. Um, it was very, very funny because uh, it was like they just moved everything. Is it me or is that um, VIP uh, area just looking cheaper and cheaper by the week? <laughs> yeah, they've not really pushed the boat out for that table, have they? That's literally just a table <laughs> that, that that's a table that Public Enemy have left behind. It looks like and and just a little crappy tablecloth and and so on. Yeah, the food looks nice. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah. It, I think the commentary table was a nice break for Rick if he's thinking about his VIP section for future weeks. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Uh, We have, as I said, the Faces of Fear versus Sting and Luger. And Flair is on commentary with uh, Bischoff and Heenan. And Rick Flair is funny. From this moment onwards, he comes out with so many one-liners, so many jokes. And it's, it's where Flair, I think, toes the line very well. An understated, quiet Rick Flair doesn't really work because it's Ric Flair. Yeah. But then he can go too much the other way and be loud and shouty and ranty and it gets too much. Here on commentary, Flair's interacting with Bischoff and Heenan, making plenty of jokes about the guys in the ring, constantly digging at Kevin Green, Mongo and Savage. And it's just comedy gold. It really is. Um, I love that he stayed on commentary through this. I hope um, we get to hear more from uh, Ric Flair on commentary yes so do i so do i if it's in this this same sort of mold if he's if he carries on in this same sort of ilk i guess uh flair mentions that he's caught liz looking at lex luger in the past just as lex does his little uh flexing of his pec muscles and uh, <laughs> flair says oh yeah i've seen her looking she likes that thing that he does with his chest where it goes wibble wobble or something along those lines yeah and um <laughs> bischoff asks well don't you mind that and Flair just goes, nah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant, but also some very um, foreshadowing there, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. That's true. <laughs> uh, the the faces of fear here work uh, stings back for a big portion of this contest with some quite stiff looking backbreakers and elbow drops and so on. 
Um, we get a moment of a really cool uh, and quite stiff-looking atomic drop, which then turns into a big boot combo from the Faces of Fear. That looked very painful. A crazy overhead suplex from literally the top rope, where both guys are stood on the top rope from the Barbarian. Double diving headbutts from the top rope from the Faces of Fear. The Barbarian misses a big splash, and Sting eventually tags Luger. Luger comes in and, and sort of you know gains a bit of control for his team. Uh, Sting then hits a splash from the top rope where he gets some incredible height. Rolls out the way for Lex to pin his opponent, and the tag champions are victorious. Danny, how did you find this particular contest? And I mean, we've seen the faces of fear quite often in singles action, but I don't think massively in our run as a tag team. How did you take this in? How, how did you find this? I really enjoyed this match because it was very even paced. Um, yeah, I think, as you said, uh, the Faces of Fear, this is one of the first times we've seen them as a tag team. Um, I love the fact that Sting and Lex found all their championships again as they came out. <laughs> oh, yes. Luger was wearing the TV title, was carrying the tag title. Uh, it makes everything so so much more, doesn't it? It does, mate. And the only thing about this was um, Sting applying a bear hug to Barbarian and basically getting nowhere because it didn't really look effective. Bloody bear hugs, man. For goodness (laughs) sake. Oh, dear. Uh, After the match, we have Mean Gene outside and he is having a little chat with Randy Savage, who is in his full gear outside, despite not being allowed in the building. So he must just literally travel dressed like that i'm assuming savage is told there's a meeting going on right now with the likes of nick botwinkle and other wcw executives trying to decide savage's future and savage says warn them gene warn them that they need to look after what they do with my future so again it's just another little segment i guess the sort of fear of the macho man being a bit crazy and the whole flair stuff i guess yeah, but then we get another little promo vid. Blood runs cold. Yep, and it's the same one from the pay per view. This one was a bit longer, and uh, I was thinking, who is this? Just come on, it has to. Be, we have to see a face or something in the future. Mm, I don't know. I don't know how much longer. I'm going to look it up. So if we don't find out next week, I will have an answer for you. But again, I'm, I'm not going to tell you who it is. And people on Twitter and other shows don't spoil it. I want to see Danny's reaction. uh somebody we see next though in our next contest is someone who we've not really seen a great deal of but then here we are seeing them on back-to-back nights and that's brad armstrong and he is facing off against diamond dallas page it's obvious that, that they're sort of really trying to build momentum with page now he's won the battle bowl he's supposed to be having a title match at the great american bash here he is here having a pretty decent television contest. It's not a spectacular match, but it, it is still of a decent enough standard, entertained me enough. And then he gets some promo time afterwards as well. So it seems that DDP's stock is on the rise, Danny. It really does. Um, it seems like he's getting a sort of mini push now, and that's good to see. He's out of that horrendous feud with the Booty Man. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. um, there's a very important announcement uh, made after this match, isn't there, Sai? Ah, there is. There is indeed. I mean, basically, for for you know, for those who are interested, um, Brad Armstrong is sodding amazing in this match, and Brad Armstrong is incredible. If that guy had a personality, he would have made millions in this business. He's, yes. he's that talented. Go back and check out, you know, Brad Armstrong working with Chris Benoit at an early Clash of Champions, and Brad Armstrong here with DDP. He is very, very good. But we get a an. an excuse the pun, a diamond cutter out of nowhere, as, you know, again, is is very similar to an RKO. But yeah, out of nowhere for DDP to get the three count. A very good, solid TV match. Mean Gene speaks to Diamond Dallas Page in the ring. We get, I think, the debut of the South High Five. I don't think we've seen it before. No, I don't think we've seen that. No. Mm. So DDP high-fiving himself begins on this Nitro, it appears. Uh, we then get a video footage or at least, you know, screenshots, I suppose would be the, the modern day equivalent of what we're looking at here with regards to the battle Royal at Slamboree. And, and do you want to talk us through what we see Danny and what basically mean Gene 
explains to Paige and the audience watching at home. Basically, um, DDP, in a nutshell, gets screwed because he won the battle royal <laughs> um, by pinning. Um, and out of nowhere, kind of, uh, Mean Gene says Lex Luger gets the championship shot at the Great American Bash instead of DDP. I honestly feel DDP got screwed. Um, at this point, I wouldn't say he was ready for a world championship match, but I, I was actually looking forward to seeing where they were going to push him. But we, we just talked about it seconds ago. He was on a mini push, but this could be a good thing for him. It could show a new character for him. Yeah, his his interview here, I think, is, I suppose, a good example of where we're heading with Paige and also where we've been. Because for quite a while, in, in our in our run through of Nitro here and quite a while in this project, whenever we've seen Diamond Dallas Page, it's almost like he's got about 47 different gimmicks and can't decide on which one to go with. So he takes a bit of each. We're starting to get that stripped back a little bit now. We've yeah. lost the hat. We've lost, um, at one point, he was carrying a, a walking cane. That, that is gone. We've still got the big cigar. Um, his ring gear, whereas still bright and neon colours, tends to be more now one color as opposed to 86 at once. So it's almost like he's still trying to figure out who he is, but it's not as spectacular as, as previous incarnations. And his interview here, I feel is the same. We get several different attempts at trying to coin a catchphrase. I think we get the good God and the, the big yell of, you know, some sort of screech and the South high five. He's trying to see what works, which doesn't bother me as long as yeah. eventually he settles into what does work and drops the rest. Otherwise, it's a bit much, Danny. Yeah, it does. I completely see that. But like you said, he's trying new things in front of a live audience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Gina said that he's not going to receive the title match because his foot touched the floor. And as far as I could see at Slamboree, and as far as we can see in this video evidence or picture evidence, it's only one foot. Do we not have the Shawn Michaels rule in WCW? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> exactly. DDP was screwed. There we go. <laughs> so, yes, Lex Luger will get to the title match at the Great American Bash instead. And that brings us already motoring through this card, Danny, which I think is a, is a good sign to how good this show was. Motoring yeah. through this card. We have Arn Anderson versus the Giant for the world title. Now, this is a, a turn out for the books. Arn, main event in Nitro for the world championship. I'm all about that, my friend. Me too, mate. It's like we're going back in time to the beginning of this project, isn't it? <laughs> there we go. Yes. I mean, very close to, well, we're fast approaching a year in to Nitro Nights. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, Arn Anderson comes out with Kevin Sullivan, which in itself, I didn't find odd. Maybe I missed something. I don't know, but it didn't really, you know, nothing really flagged up about that. It's just WCW weird things happen. But then the giant and Jimmy Hart come out to the dungeon of dooms music. And part of that is Kevin Sullivan's laugh. So that was weird. Yeah. I, I expected Kevin Sullivan to run back and come back out with uh, the giant, but no, he stayed, <laughs> um, he stayed with Arn, didn't he? Yeah, we get a strange explanation for it, though, because Jimmy Hart tries to speak to Kevin Sullivan and we get one of the cameras close enough so we can pick up what they're saying. And Kevin Sullivan tries to explain that Arn Anderson has always been honest with him. He's never steered him wrong. He wants to make sure that this is a, a clean one-on-one -on -one match because Ric Flair is at the top of the ramp and we know how the horsemen operate. So he's here for Arn but he's going to make sure Flair doesn't interfere. And then Jimmy Hart literally just goes, oh, okay, fair enough, and walks off. It seemed, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it was basically a, just a big bit of bullshit, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And you say about the camera being close enough to hear, I think the camera was way too close in on the characters there because um, we've seen every wrinkle in Kevin Sullivan's face. <laughs> and there's quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, this match is, is very, I suppose, stereotypical of the giant matches that we're getting in these recent weeks. The the opponent for the giant tries numerous moves. Nothing really comes off because of the size difference. 
uh, his opponent then either has a rethink or retreats, depending on their character. Uh, yeah, Arn Anderson here tends to have a little bit of a, a, a retreat, and I think, and you know, he tries a few different things. He tries to be a bit quicker than the giant. That doesn't quite work. He tries to catch the giant as he's coming into the ring, so he's on the ropes, and that works for a moment, but doesn't get very far. Eventually, the giant's on his knees, and Arn shouts for the DDT which is quite a cool little spot because he wouldn't be able to DDT the giant if he was stood up. So I think that was quite a clever way of getting to that, that viewpoint gets, gets the giant in the front face lock preparing for the DDT. And the giant uses that massive hand of his grabs Arn Anderson by the throat, choke slams him for the win. As mad as this sounds, obviously this had a, this had a proper clean finish, which is great considering the criticism we've put forward to WCW on the last couple of episodes of Nitro Nights. Yeah. The opener obviously ended with a double count out, which I'm not a fan of. But as daft as this sounds, Arn Anderson in the main event, was this the weakest match of the night? Ooh, that's a good... Uh, it's, it's a toss-up between that and the DDP-Brad Armstrong match for me, mm. because, just maybe because of the DDP-Brad Armstrong didn't have as much time. But... Yeah, that's actually a really good shout. No? Um, one thing I did want to ask you about in regards to this match was Arn Anderson hitting a axe handle. What do you think of the axe handle as a move, Si? I've got no issues with it. I've got no issues with it. Yeah. I, with regards to wrestling moves like that, and when I'm sort of, I suppose, trying to look at them logically, I mean, you, you ask me on certain different moves for, for different shows we do. I always try and look at it from a viewpoint of how realistic is it? I can overlook a move that's not that realistic if it's got a big why factor. Mm. So as much as I criticize some of the um, flippy wrestling that we see nowadays, there's a certain why factor to it. And I can appreciate how athletic these guys are and I still enjoy it. Take that aside, breaking it down to ism and so on. If you've got a guy the size of Arn Anderson or, a Randy Savage. Randy Savage used an axe handle a great deal off the ropes. Uh, jumping down with two clenched fists and driving it into somebody's head, neck or back. I, I would think it's going to hurt. So I've, I've got no yeah. massive problems with it. What, what about yourself? I think it's a move we could see today. Um, we don't see enough of it, I think. Um, you make a great point about the wrestler's size being um, a factor in it, like to make it more realistic. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see it today. I think on that note of the size of wrestlers reflecting upon certain moves, I think this is a really important thing that gets overlooked. I go back to the WWF and the Divas era. And then with regards to certain ladies wrestling in other companies outside of Divas, like proper women's wrestling, like we have now when it's not just, you know, bikini models and and so on. There are occasions where ladies' matches almost seem like they've been booked like men's matches. So you see a very diminutive, slight lady hit a certain move, and it looks like shit, and it's not her fault. She's done it to the best of her ability. But because this lady is of a certain size... It doesn't look as powerful as a you know six foot five, two hundred and eighty pound man throwing the same move. Yeah. So I, I think with regards to that, it makes quite a difference. Uh, the same as when you see smaller wrestlers, um, you know, certain luchadors and so on, maybe hitting a a big splash like the warrior used to hit. I look at it and think, okay, it's a guy jumping on another guy's chest, but that guy is so small it doesn't have the same effect as when you see a bigger person do a splash. And that's why I don't mind the flippy stuff coming out then because it sort of gives you a bit more of the why factor. So yeah, with regards to the size of a competitor and certain moves that person's doing, I think it's really important that when wrestling matches are put together, that's took into consideration. Mm. Yeah. I see your point, mate. Apparently um, with regards to a lot of divas matches, they had the same road agents as the men's matches. So they would just structure it in a certain way and say, out you go ladies, you've got five minutes, do this, this, and this. And that's why certain things wouldn't work. And you also got to think as well, um, just, just by, you know, just, just the way the world is 
a lot of ladies in the wrestling business aren't going to be as tall as the men. So when you see ladies running the ropes a great deal, it doesn't have... I'm stereotyping here. I don't mean all examples, but I look back to say, just as an example, I look back to say an AJ Lee and she's running the ropes. It doesn't look like she's building up the same head of steam to coin a gorilla monsoon expression as say a Randy Savage when he's running the ropes, because when she's hitting the ropes, they're not moving as much because she's not as big a frame. And again, not her fault. She's doing you know the traditional wrestling bit. But I think that those things need to get taken into consideration. And that comes back to the axe handle as well. If mm. you've got a tiny little dude jumping off and hitting an axe handle on somebody twice his size, probably won't have the same effect, I guess. Yeah, perfectly explained, mate. But that's just my opinion. So, yeah, if you, uh, if you disagree and you wish to uh, send in your hate tweets or argue with me about any of these points, by all means do so at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, after the match, Ric Flair does a runner. He, he literally just, he, he's bailed before the cameras even come back to the commentary table. The ladies have gone with him. And then Bobby Heenan decides, you know what? I'm off to party with Ric Flair. Picks up the <laughs> candles and drops a glass and he, he's picking up uh, bits of fruit and so on. And fi- basically, Heenan's filling his pockets with whatever he can grab as Bischoff is trying to do the sign off of the show. And again, Heenan's on fine form. This is brilliant, isn't it, Danny? Oh, I loved this. Yeah, um, it was hilarious because it just shows Bob Bob Heenan's true character. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, and and that's it. That that's that episode of Nitro done and dusted. Um, Eric Bischoff gives us a sign off, and uh, we're told again next week Nitro goes two hours, and and that's that. So, yeah, no. I guess the only thing left for us to do, Danny, is to rate the episode. Uh, give it our plus points and our low points, our positives and our negatives, our woos and our oh brothers, my friend. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Just, just before we do that, um, I just want to say thank you for uh, the pre-NWO, um, going through the pre-NWO nitros with me. At the beginning of this, you said, Danny, there's going to be a lot of shit you're going to see. And we have seen a lot of shit, haven't we? We've seen the Booty Man, the Zodiac, but I'm actually excited to see the black and white uh, come into WSW now. Oh, mate. Well, that's, that's, you know, you're very welcome. I've had, a, I've had an absolute <laughs> blast. I, I love, I love doing this show so much. And, you know, I love just talking to you uh, about wrestling and so on anyway. But yeah. getting to go through WCW with you in this format, I absolutely adore it. And I know our listeners really enjoy it as well because of the feedback we get on a regular basis online. So, yeah, no, you're very welcome. And thank you very much for, for joining me on this project, I guess. Yeah. So then, Woos and O'Brothers, first or second, Danny? I'll go second this week, mate. Okie doke. Uh, my O-brother, my downside to the show. I really struggled with this. I thought that I've, I really struggled to find one. But because of my negativity on last week's episode of Nitro Nights for the pay-per-view, I decided to go with the count-out finish of the opener. Because I was just thinking, man, we've seen enough count-out finishes to tag matches now. Can't we just have something clean happen? So that's my O-brother, mate. What about yourself? Mine would be the fact that um, it's it's just a, a gripe of uh, Diamond Dallas Page getting screwed because, he, as you said, one foot did hit the ground and he really should be entitled to that World Championship match. Um, yeah, that would be mine, mate. Yeah, I, can, I see a point. I see a point. Uh, my woo this week is the opposite I guess, where I struggled to find a no-brother. I had several that I I was like, oh, can I go with this? Shall I go with this? Oh, there's so many. I've kind of narrowed it down to two. Um, Seeing Arn Anderson wrestle for a world title in the main event, I love, because I'm just a big Arn Anderson mark. The guy's fantastic. But also, just quite simply, Scott Steiner being fucking awesome. I really enjoy Scott Steiner's work in this period. This is, you know, I love it. The strength of the guy, the overhead suplexes on guys, the size of fire and ice. Just fantastic. What about you, Danny? It would definitely be the Eddie Guerrero Ric Flair match as a whole. Um, yes, definitely. I'm hoping it will be eclipsed, but it's definitely my favorite match we've seen on Nitro so far. So yeah, that would be my woo. Excellent stuff. Remember this then. 
remember this match when we come to do our end of 96 review episode in the way that we did that with 95 because that may come into the reckoning for you i feel my friend definitely uh, mate. hit miss or middling what we're thinking i'm thinking hit with this week's i it was very very good um there was a, a, a bit of a weird finish on the opening um but it definitely had a lot of good matches and we got a clean finish in the main event. So yeah. Yeah. Same for me, mate. Hit, hit, hit all day long. I loved this episode of Nitro. All, all the wrestling was fantastic. The commentary made me laugh. Uh, the, every non-wrestling segment meant something. It wasn't just rambling nonsense. Maybe that's because Mr. Hogan isn't around. I don't know. It wasn't just rambling nonsense for the sake of filling airtime. Every non-wrestling segment meant something and built towards something else. All the matches were of a great quality. We had some clean finishes, Danny, as you mentioned. Yeah, just a great TV wrestling show. Really good. Much better than the pay-per-view anyway. Yeah, definitely. If we had three hours of this, it would have been much better. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so... There we go, then. That brings us to the end of this week's Nitro Nights. Uh, before we depart, Danny, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all the great content you're involved in online, my friend? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meet with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be going into NWO territory with the great Cy Powell. Oh, stop it. Um, <laughs> I would like everyone on on my side of things, I guess, to follow the network at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And via that, you get links to all the shows the network carries. This one, obviously, Nitro Nights. If you enjoy this format, we have NXT Rise and Fall, looking at the black and gold era of NXT in a very similar week-by-week watch-along format there. If wrestling is not your bag, then why the fuck are you listening to this? That's weird. But anyway, if wrestling is not your bag, you can have uh, shows online about TV, Quantum Leap, Doctor Who, um, Murder in Mind, all sorts of great nostalgia there that the network carries as well. There's so much going on, so many new shows and more coming still. So make sure you are following at SJP World Media and subscribe as well. All your podcast players, the YouTube channel, subscribe, give us a big fat five star review because it really does help us out. But most importantly, you can follow this show at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. Danny, I'll have a look at next week's show. I've, I've, I've scanned down the running order. Not a lot fucking happens, mate. I don't know if we'll bother. <laughs> as long as one thing happens and hasn't been edited <laughs> off the network. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak to you next week, my friend. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always. Thank you for listening. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. You people. What's with him? You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here.